This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9. We're in, the, in a series called Fire from Heaven. And today's message is called Fire Fall. Last week we talked about the fire of the Lord is the acceptance of God or the Holy Spirit. If you didn't hear last week's message, I encourage you to go online or to our podcast through iTunes. Listen to that. So the fire of God is came down and accepted the offerings of the people. And it also represents the Holy Spirit. So let's just sum all that up together. The fire of the Lord is his presence. If you just want to make that easy. It's him, his presence, him being among us. The book of Leviticus is instructions to the Levites. And God had a very particular way he wanted his people to worship him. He had very particular rules. And he gave these rules to the Levites. And last week we learned in Leviticus chapter 6 that he instructed them to never let the fire go out. That's an analogy for our lives, how we have to keep God's presence alive in our hearts and lives. We can't let the fire go out. It needs to be a perpetual fire. So in Leviticus 6, they were instructed, don't let this fire go out. And now we go to Leviticus 9, starting in verse 22, and we find how the fire came. It did not come from a human source. It came straight from God. On the back of your bulletin will be a chance for you to take notes if you choose to. That will help organize this. But starting in verse 22, we'll pick up the narrative. At this point, there had been four sacrifices to the Lord. And in verse 22, it says, Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. And Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Let's pray together. God, we are asking for your fire to fall, for your presence to fall, for you to be among us. And as we look at this story today, this reality of this very thing that happened several thousand years ago, we know that it is in our personal lives an analogy, it is showing us what you want to do today in 2010, in this year, in this place, in this church, and in our particular hearts. So Lord, let us be open to every single thing that you want to do. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you were alive in 1986, in the winter of 86, and saw our space shuttle, the Challenger, Explode in the air, fire fell from heaven, and watching that, you just got the feeling things were never going to be the same again. Up until that point, the Americans had used NASA. We had seen NASA as a source of pride in our advancement, saying to the other nations, we're the first people to the moon, the first nation to the moon, that through our science and technology, we're leading the way. And there was a sense of invincibility. In fact, if you remember that this was one of the first flights, if not the first flight, in which citizens 
came on the flight, and the idea was even an average American, a school teacher, could go on a space shuttle and go into space because that's how fast we're advancing. And when that tragic explosion happened, you just saw it happen, and there was that sense that things won't ever be the same again. Whenever we encounter fire, we really will change forever, whether it's our property is destroyed and those things that we value the most we can't get back when it encounters fire, or whether we're physically damaged by fire. There's that sense when we encounter fire, we're never the same. And those analogies are certainly negative analogies because we're never the same in a negative sense. But in this situation, what we're talking about, the fire we're talking about today, the fire from heaven, it's the same, that we're never the same when we encounter the fire, but in a good way. Because God's fire doesn't damage, it just destroys the bad things in our life, but it brings refinement, and it brings good things to our lives. And here, as we pick up this story, we find that the fire only came after there was a sacrifice. I want you to write that down as a first thing. In order for God's glory and God's presence to come, there has to be a sacrifice first. And God was very particular about this. And earlier in chapter 9, when he told Aaron what he was supposed to do, would you look at me in Leviticus 9, and let's go to verse 6. Earlier in this passage, it says, Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. And I want us to pause there for a second. And God's presence is always with us. He promised He would never leave us nor forsake us. But it's only when we're aware of God that we have communion with Him. It's when we're really aware that, yeah, God is real and He's here. That's when we experience Him. And that will never happen if there is no sacrifice. I think about this service today. And how the service was prepared. Think about Penny and the worship team. They picked out the songs and they prayed through what songs we would use. And then someone put the words to the song in the computer so we could project them on the screen. And this building was prepared. Last night, there was a team up here vacuuming. And, and after we had a wedding rehearsal and cleaning out the, the foyer. And someone else mowed the yard earlier in the week. And our children, they prepared. And we made sure our children's workers had background checks and then there was a prayer team that met here Friday. There was another prayer team that met before each service. And you, we come in here and we experience God's presence, but it took some sacrifice to get here. It took, took someone paying the price. And if you look at that scripture, it says, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. If you want to know God in a greater way and really experience his presence and really have him in your life, it is naive to think that you don't have to have any sacrifice. You can, he can just show up whenever you want to. No, in our personal lives, in our personal holiness, in our time with him, there is an element of sacrifice that we have to make. Not sacrifice to have access to him because Jesus already made that sacrifice once but in our personal lives, there's a sense of preparation that we have to have to really experience God. Look at verse 7. And going on, it says, Moses said to Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. Let's pause there for a second. For those of you called the spiritual leadership, it starts with you. The, those who want to lead spiritually, Aaron had to go and make sacrifices for himself 
first before he can make sacrifices for the people. And going on in verse 7, it says, Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. You see, we live in this paradox world in the sense that the sacrifice has already been paid by Jesus. There's nothing we can do to have access to God's presence. Jesus paid it all. But yet, at the same time, there's a certain type of preparation you and I need to have or we won't fully be aware that God is among us. And in the old system, all the things they had to do, God was very particular about what they had to do to make things right with him. What type of uh, changes they, excuse me, what kind of sacrifices they had to do in order to make things right. And I think that there, there was this sense of deterrence of it's going to take so much effort for my sins to be forgiven that I'm going to live right. Obviously, it wasn't a completely um, effective de- deterrent because people continue to sin because of our sinful nature. But there was that sense of it's going to take some work. It's going to take some effort to make this right. And I think sometimes we have to be careful that we're, we're so casual with God that we forget that there is an important component of our lives of getting us prepared, making the effort. But once we make the sacrifice, here's the second thing that, that happens as we prepare for the fire is there is a blessing. A blessing comes. If you look at the narrative there, twice in that passage we look at, Aaron blessed the people. And he came out and he blessed them. And when he blessed the people, it prepared them for the fire. The blessing of the Lord begins to prepare you for the fire. And that was the purpose of the priest. The priests were to bless the people. Everything they did was to bless the people. I started preaching at a, at a fairly early high school, like 14, 15 in that realm. One of my early sermons was a very significant moment in my life. Uh, we had a pretty large youth group, and I was getting ready for this message, and I really prayed, I really prepared. Um, I, I really looked at this as an important message for my youth group. And something happened in that sermon that is still to this day one of the significant moments in my life. It's the first time that I really preached under God's anointing, where I knew, I mean, God's presence was, was on the words I was speaking. Uh, it was a, a special moment. I don't say that to my glory, but to God's glory. Some special things happened in that service. And so they scheduled me to preach again a few weeks later. And there's something in sports known as the sophomore slump. And this is what it is. A freshman in college or a rookie, they come in and expectations are low. And so their sports performance, they exceed expectations. And then the second year comes, their sophomore year. Or their, uh, it's not their rookie year, their second year. And the expectations are high, and then they don't meet the expectations. So they call that the sophomore slump. Well, this second sermon was my sophomore slump. Here I was getting ready for the sermon, and now the expectations were high, and people wanted me to do well, and there was a buzz. And my youth pastor's wife, she was a great lady, but she talked to me, And she kind of fed me uh, some lines. She was saying, Aaron, the next time you preach, you need to nail them. These kids have bad attitudes and they're disrespectful. You're one of them. Nail them. Get them. 
And so I kind of felt empowered. I'm like, yeah, here I am. So I prepared this message and I got up and I preached and my cadence was strong and, and I, I spoke harshly and I spoke enthusiastically and I was getting after them. And the sermon was fine in the sense that, um, that it was delivered okay and all of the things that, that you would want a sermon seemed okay. But at the end of the sermon, I felt horrible. The reason why is because I wasn't blessing the people with my words. What I was doing is I was hammering them. Now, there are times when a minister needs to speak harsh things. And they need to speak truth. They need to be honest and even speak things that are difficult for the hearers to listen to. But that should be done with a tear in the eye. And it should be done with heart behind it. And when you hear difficult words that you don't want to hear, but they're from God, those words will bless you. And those words will be a blessing. Sometimes we look at, at ministering, we, we minister with an edge on us. And we minister just wanting to get people. And it's not really God's voice, it's His agenda. One of the first churches that I worshipped, uh, that I worked for, is I had preached a couple of times and and... We, we had another opportunity on a Sunday night, and the way this church was configured, the pastors, we'd walk down this long aisle, and on either side would be like the choir and different workers, and it, it was really bizarre. It was almost like you were like going to a game or something, you know, you're, and literally kind of high, some people would high-five you or whatever. It was really strange. And I'll never forget, I was getting ready to preach one night, and I heard something that just shook me and startled me. I didn't know quite how to respond. As I'm walking through this gauntlet down the hall, someone said, Hey, Aaron, sick them. I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? I'm going to preach the word and I'm supposed to sick them? Am I supposed to hammer them? This isn't a boxing match. This is a sermon. Uh, but there's that sense of go get them. Go get that edge. And it's important that we need to understand that when we minister... Under God's anointing and God's authority, there is a blessing that's attached to that message. There's a blessing, whether it be a sermon, whether it be a worship, whether it be a Sunday school class, a small group. The people need to be blessed because the blessing of the Lord prepares them for the fire. When you're in the blessing of the Lord, you're prepared for His presence and for the fire. And that's why God spoke through Moses, and he told Aaron, he said, when you bless the people, you bless them this way. Go to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6 will show us the words that, that, Moses, that, that Aaron was supposed to use when, he, when he used when he blessed the people. Now, in verse 22 of, of our passage today, it says, in Leviticus 9, 22, it says, Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people. And he did that. Because when he lifted his hands, he was saying, basically, there was nothing magical about his hands. But with his hands extended to the people, he was saying, this is a weighty message. This is what I'm saying. These words mean something. These words are heavy. And so then now in Numbers chapter 6, if you found that, and, and starting with uh, verse 22 again, it says, The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Most Sundays you hear me speak that blessing over you as you leave. Now here's the part that that you might not have realized. Verse 27 of number 6. 
So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. So when Aaron extended his hand in Leviticus 9.22 and he said that the Lord bless you and keep you or, and he spoke a blessing, he put the name of God on the people. And I just want you to know this, and this has nothing to do with my power. I'm just telling you because of Jesus, you have his name on you. And, and when you leave this, every time you leave the sanctuary, a Sunday, a Wednesday, whenever it is, I want you to leave on a, with a blessing because his name is on you. You're marked by the Lord. You are his. You belong to him. And there's a blessing on you. And when you begin to live under that blessing, you are a person that gives sacrifices to the Lord. You're a person who lives under the blessing of the Lord. They're ready for his fire to come. What does a fire bring? Write it down. Here's the first thing. It brings his glory. It brings his glory. Now, I'm not talking about old glory like the American flag. This is a different type of glory. Look at verse 23 in Leviticus 9. Leviticus 9, 23. It says, when they came out and blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And that word glory comes from a Hebrew word that means the heavy, weighty presence of God. So we're not talking about just an abstract concept. Well, you know, God got glory or God has glory. We're talking about something very specific from the Lord. We're not talking about the American flags I mentioned, old glory here. No, we're talking about something that was visible, the heavy presence of God, his glory. And I just want you to know something, that there are times when you can feel God. It's like a weight on you. It's a heaviness. It's a good kind of heaviness that lets you know that his presence is tangible and his presence is real. And when he sends his fire, you see, the fire comes from his presence. I can't produce the fire. Music can't produce the fire. You cannot cannot demand the fire to come. It's his choice. It's his presence. His fire, his presence, his glory comes. And it's like a heavy presence when that happens. And when you begin to sacrifice and, and you're under his blessing, you're ready for his glory to come. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. What happens when his fire comes? Reverence. Reverence. Look at Leviticus 9.27. Excuse me, 9.24, the end of that. And when all the people saw it, what did they see? The glory of God, his heavy presence. They shouted for joy and fell face down. Let's focus on that last one. They fell face down. There was a reverence. We also know that as the fear of the Lord. The King James Version, or in earlier years, they would say the fear of the Lord. And that's a good term to still use. But it's also the reverence of the Lord. The idea is that God is different than us. His ways are above us. He's higher than us. And so when we worship Him and we're aware of His presence, it's something unique and it's something different. And I just want you to know that when you're in the presence of God, it's different than just a concert you go to at the Somme Center or the GEC or whatever they call it now, Bridgestone, the downtown arena. You can go and hear great, talented artists that inspire and their music's good and it can make you sentimental or it can... Uh, make you nostalgic or can make you feel romantic. You can be in all of their talent, but it's different than when the glory of the Lord comes and there's a reverence and when his weighty presence is here and you're like, God is here. I'm just telling you, if you haven't experienced that, there are times where it's like God is here and we just need to be still right now. Or God is here and we need to be aware of him. That's a great, great thing the Lord has. And the Lord wants you to experience that. 
He wants you to have that. I don't know when that's going to happen for you. Maybe it's going to happen today. Maybe it's going to happen in your car, driving to work. Maybe it's going to happen when you're alone. I don't know when that's going to happen, but he wants you to have that. A sense of reverence that, wow, this moment is different. Because I'm aware there's a real God. And I'm sinful and he's not. I'm unholy and he's perfect. And that's a great, great thing. Something that's unique and special. This summer, we have been involved in spring and summer with several significant weddings. And they have been such a joy. I love weddings and it's such an honor to be part of them. We were part of a wedding yesterday. A lot of people in our church were involved in it with Daniel Reed and now Amanda Reed. So proud of them. It was, it was a beautiful occasion. And, and every wedding's different and there's not a right way to do weddings. But most of the younger people who are in their 20s, their weddings go something like this. It's a very short 20-minute ceremony, but in the short little 20-minute ceremony, it's just different. You know, people come from all different states and areas for this really small, short time. And as a minister, you know, I feel an obligation to kind of use some more official words and be just a little more flowerly and official. And the, the groomsmen, they come down and they stand there and they're in formal tuxedos that they spend $150 to rent. And you look at these guys and you're used to seeing them in flip-flops and t-shirts, but they're in these penguin suits and these tuxedos. And then the girls, the girls, the bridesmaids, and they are beautiful. They come down in their dresses. And I just want to take a little poll. Who in here, ladies, have been bridesmaids before? Can you just raise your hand real quickly? Okay. All right. I see your hand now. Who of you have been bridesmaids before and you have actually worn the dress a second time? Okay, a couple of hands, but not many more. Because most of, most of these ladies wear these beautiful dresses and they look gorgeous and they never wear them again. It's just for 20 minutes of standing there. And finger foods are made and all this effort goes, goes forth. Now, why do we do that? Why do we make all this effort to dress differently and act differently? We do that because it's special. It's a special day. It's a special moment. It gives us a chance, if you go that route, to remember that moment in time as a turning point, as a marking point. And you can take the pictures, and the whole experience makes it special and unique. And I just want to say that when you begin to understand that when we gather together, as a church, or when you have your quiet time with the Lord, or you're with the Lord, it's special. It's a time of reverence. A lot of times we, we try to produce reverence in other ways through the architecture of the church. And we know that that's not the case. That you can reverence God in a school cafeteria or in a Gothic cathedral. Or we think that we have to reverence God just through our, our dress in a church setting. And, you know, for me personally, I choose to dress casually. I don't care how you dress. If you want to wear a tuxedo to church in a formal, go for it. If you want to dress casual, go for it too. When we used to live in an agrarian society and people worked the fields and they were farming on Sunday, they wanted to wear their Sunday best because they, haven't, they didn't get a chance to do so during the week. So that used to be our tradition in America. Nowadays, when we, most of us live in the information society, we're in front of a computer or we're in a corporate office, we're dressing up, and on Sundays, we want to be a little more casual. I dress a little more casual because, for me, 
I say, God, I'm coming to you, and I'm just real. That's just for me. I'm not saying that's for you. I just I want to be real in front of you, Lord, and this is, this is how I dress. But you're welcome to do any way you, you choose at our church, and I mean that sincerely. But it's not dress that produces reverence, and it's not architecture that produces reverence, though at times those can be tools. It's our attitude. And when God's glory comes, and when you are aware that the weightiness of His presence is here, and His fire is here, and He is real, there's going to come times when we want to bow before the Lord. We want to get on our face before the Lord. There can be a stillness that comes over us, where it's like God is here, and He's real. But that's not the only thing. Here's the third thing I want you to write down. It's this, is joy. In the presence of the Lord, there is joy. If you look at the end of verse 24, it says, They shouted for joy and fell face down. It's not one or the other. It's usually both. We rejoice and we shout and we dance and we celebrate. And then we're still and reverent and quiet because when His glory comes, it's an appropriate way to respond. We respond both with joy and excitement and we also respond with reverence and His fire comes into our life. I want our musicians to make their way up here. And this story in the Old Testament, this story is a sign to us of how things used to be. But it's also a sign of what God wants to do today. Because His presence is not just for the elite. It's not just for the Levites. It's not just for Moses and Aaron. It's not just for special people. It's for every single one of you. Every single one of us has access to His presence. And because of Jesus, listen, He made the sacrifice once and for all. He made one sacrifice at one time so that any time we want to go into God's presence, we have access. We, it might take some effort. It might take rearranging our life. It might take us uh, living more holy and repenting of sin. But you have access to God. You have access to His glory. And God's glory is not just a story for us to read about a long time ago. It's a reality He wants us to step into. And He wants to touch you. And He wants you to know His Holy Spirit. And He wants you to understand that that He has a blessing for you. All your sacrifices for the Lord. All the things you've given to the Lord. All the blessing you've sat over and you've sat under blessing. You live here in America. Most of us, we're going to eat today. Most of us have a roof over our head. We are under the blessing of the Lord. And we are blessed to be a blessing. And so His fire and His presence, when it comes to our lives, we can know that God is real among us. This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.